Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello there. I hope you're doing well today. I hope you're ready to listen to a long poem that I do not completely understand, but I can't stop thinking about it ever since I read it. It's by Louise Gluck. She has won among many, many awards and accolades, the Pulitzer Prize and the Nobel Prize for Literature. Okay, need I say more? These are high, high honors, obviously. And so I think if I'm sensing that something pretty magic is going on in here, it could be right. This woman probably knows what she's doing. So the parts that mystify me that I don't understand, (coughs) they might not be meant to be understood. But if we put our heads together, you and me both, we might be able to get a little further than I can by myself. There's just certain lines in these. Mm, I'll tell you what I what they are later. Um, this is a five, four, four part poem called Visitors from Abroad. How about I read it before I talk and I will say the numbers of the sections when I get to a new section. Okay, let's try this. Visitors from Abroad by Louise Gluck. One. Sometime after I had entered that time of life, people prefer to allude to in others, but not in themselves. In the middle of the night, the phone rang. It rang and rang as though the world needed me, though really it was the reverse. I lay in bed, trying to analyze the ring. It had my mother's persistence and my father's pained embarrassment. When I picked it up, the line went dead. Or was the phone working and the caller dead? Or was it not the phone, but the door, perhaps? Two. My mother and father stood in the cold on the front steps. My mother stared at me, a daughter, a fellow female, You never think of us, she said. We read your books when they reach heaven. Hardly a mention of us anymore. Hardly a mention of your sister. And they pointed to my dead sister, a complete stranger, tightly wrapped in my mother's arms. But for us, she said, you wouldn't exist. And your sister, you have your sister's soul after which they vanished like Mormon missionaries. Three. The street was white again. All the bushes covered with heavy snow and the trees glittering encased with ice. I lay in the dark, waiting for the night to end. It seemed the longest night I had ever known, longer than the night I was born. I write about you all the time, 
I said aloud. Every time I say I, it refers to you. Four. Outside, the street was silent. The receiver lay on its side, among the tangled sheets. Its peevish throbbing had ceased some hours before. I left it as it was, its long cord drifting under the furniture. I watched the snow falling, not so much obscuring things as making them seem larger than they were. Who would call in the middle of the night? Trouble calls, despair calls, joy is sleeping like a baby. Okay. <laughs> I don't even quite know where to start. What do I see? What, why does this keep coming to my mind? First of all, probably because it's a story. I mean, this is kind of a fun, creepy story, is it not? That might be part of why it's stuck in my head. There's something here about the phone too. I mean, I've talked about this before. The poems that have the, the material, that just remind you of a different time. And I mean, this is already gone, this era of the phone and the way that communication worked, like not being able to know who had called and the way the phone was physically connected to the building you were in, you had to go to it. I don't know, it, part of that is what is um, just kind of cool and, what's the word? Ghostly about this. It's about a time that has passed, a way of communication that has passed. That's probably only supposed to be a small part of this, the corded phone connected to the wall, but it's at the center of this, right? It's at the center of this interesting little narrative. This is also about a long, long sleepless night. We all have those, the nights where you're waiting and praying for morning to just come. I think those nights are formative. In the moment, they might be some of the greatest suffering that we've done or some of the greatest discomfort we've had, but you don't forget those. And they do something in us, don't they? So this, she's telling us, this speaker's telling us the story of one of those nights for her. This is about family, of course. It has babies, old people, deceased, relatives. I'm assuming at the beginning she's speaking about menopause when she's talking about the time of life that she's entered. So we're moving through ages and phases and generations all in this poem of family and life and fertility and death and all of that, all on this one snowy, strange night. The lines in here that stand out to me the most that I think I will probably never forget are the ones where the speaker, after lying there, 
in her mind, thinking over this imaginary conversation she's had with these ghosts on her porch, says, I write about you all the time. Every time I say I, it refers to you. This is one of those moments. This is about poetry too, obviously, about writing poetry, about being a writer and how people respond to it. And the people in your family who are closest to you will probably have the most complaints. And it's not just that though. This reminds me in my class that I teach, we have been reading a lot of Emily Dickinson. We're finally done now, but we write a lot. And we had to talk a lot about that speaker I in the poems. Almost all of her eight, Emily Dickinson's 1800 poems have an I speaker, almost all of them. And they obviously are not all Emily Dickinson. This was first time I think some of the students have thought through this with me. If Emily Dickinson writes a poem and she says I, it isn't necessarily that living, breathing woman who is speaking, she's speaking as someone else, as a character. Who might that I be that she's speaking as? In a lot of Emily Dickinson's poems, the I speaker has died already. So that obviously is not Miss Dickinson herself. She hasn't died. And yet there's an I speaker speaking from beyond death about what she's experienced. So this is an imaginative I. And we've thought about what does that mean? Now this renowned poet, Gluck, saying, when I say I, it refers to you, talking to her family, because we are our family. We cannot escape that. I have some Sharon Olds poems up my sleeve. She's obsessed with that, and I'll read some poems of hers about that soon. So, of course, it does specifically have to do with family. We can't talk about ourselves without we wouldn't be here without our parents, like this ghost mother so accusingly says. You'd be nothing without us. You wouldn't even exist. But I think it's more than that. I think it is probably talking about the reader. That's how I took it. it refers to me when I read the I that somebody else wrote. Because without the reader to receive the poem, there wouldn't be an I or a you. I like that little reach out to the reader in that line. So what's up with the end? Trouble calls, despair calls, and then all of a sudden she says this word joy. You have to be careful with words like love and joy. They're so weighted and it's difficult to write a poem that does justice to those things. Right in the last line, joy is sleeping like a baby. There is a theme of babiness and fertility through here, but joy is sleeping like a baby. Babies actually don't sleep very well, and I'm wondering if she's saying there is no joy right now because it's asleep, or joy keeps repeatedly waking up all through the night. There's dark times, but joy keeps popping its little head back up and crying and you can't ignore it. Or I wonder if it's joy is there the whole time, warm and alive and peaceful, even with all of this ghostly, fascinating stuff that's going on. I don't know. What do you think? 
What do you think about that last line? I also wonder if, if we live somewhere where it doesn't snow, can we even have an experience like this? If this was just kind of a 70 degree Southern California night, could this story have even happened? Or does snow, maybe a good rain beating against the window, does weather actually do something in us that couldn't happen without that? Seems like it. Seems like the snow is very important here. This is getting long already, so I'm just going to read it again. Listen to this. What do you think about Visitors from Abroad by Luis Gluck? One, sometime after I had entered, that time of life people prefer to allude to in others, but not in themselves, in the middle of the night, the phone rang. It rang and rang as though the world needed me, though really it was the reverse. I lay in bed, trying to analyze the ring. It had my mother's persistence and my father's pained embarrassment. When I picked it up, the line was dead. Or was the phone working and the caller dead? Or was it not the phone, but the door, perhaps? Two. My mother and father stood in the cold on the front steps. My mother stared at me, a daughter, a fellow female. You never think of us, she said. We read your books when they reach heaven. Hardly a mention of us anymore. Hardly a mention of your sister. And they pointed to my dead sister, a complete stranger, tightly wrapped in my mother's arms. But for us, she said, you wouldn't exist. And your sister, you have your sister's soul. After which they vanished like Mormon missionaries. Three. The street was white again. All the bushes covered with heavy snow and the trees glittering encased with ice. I lay in the dark, waiting for the night to end. It seemed the longest night I had ever known, longer than the night I was born. I write about you all the time, I said aloud. Every time I say I, it refers to you. Four. Outside, the street was silent. The receiver lay on its side among the tangled sheets. Its peevish throbbing had ceased some hours before. I left it as it was, its long cord drifting under the furniture. I watched the snow falling, not so much obscuring things as making them seem larger than they were. Who would call in the middle of the night? Trouble calls, despair calls. Joy is sleeping like a baby. Part of my vision for Take This Poem was to have it be interactive. I imagined it as a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you 
can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. You could send me a voice recording of you reading a poem to be included in a mailbag poetry reading. Commenting on the poem is welcome, but optional. Don't be shy. It's the only voice you got. What better use for it do you have than reading beautiful words out loud? Also, you could request a poem that you'd like to hear me read and ponder on the show. Or tell me what you've been thinking about these days and I could play literary matchmaker and choose a poem for you. And by the way, I am aware that I have a small but loyal following of youngsters out there and these invitations are all open to them as well. Send any of these or other ideas you have to take this poem podcast at gmail.com and join me in sharing good poems with this little community. I hope to hear from you soon.